Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. Welcome to the show, folks. Today I want to talk to you about lying. Uh, because lying, you know, there's uh, many kinds of it. And we all, you know, fib and we exaggerate. And um, we tell some whoppers sometimes, too. But, uh, so that is all kind of totally within the norm and of course, we all know that politicians lie more than anybody else, and they kind of have to because, uh, honestly, we expect them to. In other words, we cannot handle the truth, as that um, Jack-Nicholson's character said in that movie about the Marine Corps. Um, we can't handle the truth. We don't want to handle the truth. We don't want to know the truth, substantially. And so politicians... Uh, adapt and evolve and become uh, very accomplished liars. And that's true with all politicians and even Trump, whom I like a lot, uh, certainly falls into that category. He exaggerates, he um, fibs, you know, he says some things that could be true. He certainly wishes they were true, like with the vaccine being available very shortly and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's not something that he would swear or sign a sworn affidavit to, let's just put it that way. So that's all that kind of stuff is par for the course. And uh, in fact, it's not unhealthy because one of the, you know, the process of uh, elections, the process of so-called democracy is, uh, involves basically the electorate deciding whose lies they want to believe as opposed more as opposed to whose lies they're less inclined to believe and that's fine that's always been like that from the days of ancient greece you know athens 2500 years ago and uh, through uh, america and when at the time of its founding in 1776 and through today uh, that has always been the case politicians told uh, a bunch of lies, uh, basically describing maybe their vision of how things were, how things are, and how they want things to be. And uh, that was, uh, you know, had some grain of truth in it, possibly, but most of it was lies. And then, uh, you know, we the people kind of said, well, you know, that guy... That guy's lies, we don't really want to believe in. Uh, that guy's vision is not what we support. But this other guy, yes, we uh, kind of forgive him. We know that it's not all true, but we are with him in this that we want it to be true. Okay. So when, for example, when Trump says that COVID, you know, the virus is not something that we should be afraid of, it's something that we can tackle with vaccines and, and medications in the very near term. Uh, whether that's true or not, it's partially true, like, like everything politicians say. But those of us who support Trump 
we want to believe it and we choose to believe it because you know as far as you know i am concerned i just don't believe that being afraid of anything is a good idea and uh, fear is paralyzing and it's never a good idea to be afraid and to act on fear Uh, and i do believe that there will be and even now there is some sort of a mix of uh, medications, treatments, and possibly some limited efficacy vaccines that will last. Uh, it will not be a measles vaccine or, a, you know, something like that that uh, lasts forever. And then a polio vaccine. That's not this type of virus. I, I'm I'm not a doctor, a physician, and I'm not an epidemiologist, a virologist, anything like that. But I am a scientist and. I can understand these things at a, you know at least to some level, and what I'm going to say is that it's uh, you know there's going to be vaccines that are more similar to the flu vaccine. They're going to have limited uh, efficacy, and uh, they're going to have to be renewed periodically every year or two, and things of that nature. And some of us, just like with the flu vaccine, will choose to do that, and some will choose not to do that, and it should be our right to do so. I certainly I do not believe that vac- vaccination should be in any sense obligatory or mandatory. So people, those of us who are Trump supporters like uh, myself, that's, you know, we go with that. But those of those who are uh, Trump opponents, not to say haters, uh, they say, oh, my God, he's lying. We should be all deathly afraid of COVID and stay at home and wear a mask in our bed and and, um, you know, have sex through plexiglass, plexi, plexi, plexiglass dividers uh, and, uh, you know, like the this idiot uh, Canadian chief uh, doctor, whatever Tam said, uh, in all this nonsense and, and, and bizarre notions, and, and but people buy into them, okay? Those are also lies, and not only lies, but fragments of a diseased imagination, kind of insanity, but people buy into that. People who are, you know, Trump haters and, and so on. Dem- Democrats in America, substantially. So all of that, however, is normal. I would call it normal, even though uh, I guess in recent times, uh, this concept of norm of normality is out the window. And we're certainly stretching the, the boundaries of anything that could remotely be called normal on the Democrat slash progressive slash totalitarian side. Nevertheless, though, for the purposes of this show, I'm going to call it normal. But what is really happening now is something that goes far beyond that. Today, we are faced with lies from the left, which are not um, the kind of lies that I just talked about. These are lies that fall into a totally different category because they are strategic. And what, you know, what makes something strategic? What makes something strategic is this concept of coherence, this concept of, you know, laser, right? Sometimes we say it's laser focused. Well, you know, what is a laser? A laser is a, a coherent beam of light, meaning that, uh, you know, typical light, like we all see during the day, uh, the waves, uh, light is a wave phenomenon, 
uh, and these waves are uh, all in random phase. In other words, they're not in sync. But, you know, however long it was, uh, maybe 60 years ago, uh, some scientists discovered that if you create light that is in sync, that is coherent, you get this very tightly focused and very um, monochromatic, in other words, with a single wavelength light. And uh, by using that light, you can deliver uh, very high amounts of energy on, onto a very small surface, and it's useful for a variety of applications. Cutting things and things of that nature. So, you know, the, the lies that I described in the opening of this segment, you could um, call them non-coherent lies. They're lies that are kind of out of phase. They, they in their entirety, reflect and give us a picture of what that candidate is talking about. And that's, you could say, is a good thing for democracy. And we get a vision from this guy and we get another vision from that guy. And then we can say, well, I like that vision better. And we go vote for that guy. Okay. But what we're seeing from the Democrats today is something totally different. Uh, what we are seeing is kind of the laser beam of lies. These are lies that are put in sync, that, that are in phase, and they're basically drilling a hole through us, like a laser would. Uh, they're focusing that destructive energy on to the American public, uh, and they're going to, and they're very close to burning a hole through it. Now, there is a, a precedent for that. Uh, they did not invent it, like, you know, the, the, the various... Uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are just two regular uh, run-of-the-mill idiots, but the people who, ru who are running them are not idiots, uh, and they're smart, and they are uh, students of history. And uh, what they know, for example, is that the Bolsheviks in Russia in... Um, uh, 100 years ago, uh, in 1917, 1918, they invented substantially this concept of laser beam lying. <laughs> lying on a massive scale, but also <clears throat> in a coherent way. And I'll give you uh, an example of, of one of those lies. So... Russia had a kind of a feudal system very late uh, in its history until uh, something like 1860, about the same time of the American Civil War. So serfdom in Russia uh, was terminated substantially exactly at the same time when slavery was terminated in the U.S. And, uh, but their entire system, their entire kind of um, agricultural economy, which was a huge part of the Russian Empire, Empire's economy, was based on this uh, kind of feudal system where, where uh, members of the nobility who counted uh, maybe a couple of million out of a, a country of uh, maybe 200 million, so about 1% or so, maybe one and a half, they held substantially all of agricultural uh, of, of Russia's agricultural lands it, it belonged to them. And uh, the serfs, uh, those peasants, 
also belonged to them in a sense, not quite in the same sense as American slaves, and they worked those lands. And they were allowed to keep a certain portion of what the land produced, be it you know pork or beef or wheat or barley or whatever. Some of that those peasants could keep for themselves, uh, but they could only keep what remained after they gave a certain they gave the they, they, they gave the portion to the landlord substantially to the noble. So some peasants who were industrious and smart, even though they were serfs, uh, lived quite well because they produced enough to cover what they owed to the to their uh, noble lord feudal lord and then quite enough to live well themselves and and they could sell it too like if they had more than they could produce they could sell it on the open market and they could do things like make jams and, and that kind of stuff and sell that as well and they could keep that money that money was theirs and and, and their noble the feudal lord had no claim to it well the agrarian revolution of 1860 in Russia with uh, Tsar Alexander II, uh, it was also called the Liberator because he terminated the um, serfdom, they had to figure out how to make that transition from a feudal um, economy to a kind of a non-feudal economy. And so they, there were many components to that, but... Uh, one of them was that the, the those peasants who used to be serfs, they got granted land uh, in in ownership, but the ownership was um, with a little asterisk, and the asterisk was that they had to pay a certain rent, almost in perpetuity. I believe it was ninety nine years, but I'm I'm not one hundred percent sure as I'm as I'm as I'm recording this show. It doesn't matter. For for all intents and purposes, in perpetuity, they had to pay a small lease payment on this land. Now, by the way, this is something that to this day exists in England. The Queen of England, people don't quite know it, but the Queen of England owns, and also members of her extended family and the upper British nobility, hereditary nobility, they own very large real estate holdings in Britain. I mean, I'm talking about huge parts of London, other cities, and also countryside. And if you, quite often, if you buy a flat, like in London, an apartment, you have to pay, you, you, you buy it, you can pay a million pounds for it or whatever, but then every month you have to pay a small amount to the queen in rent. Because yes, you bought it, but it's kind of not really a freehold. It's a leasehold. So you are essentially leasing it, but for a very small amount. So for example, for your million pound London uh, pad, you could pay maybe, I don't know, 10 pounds a month or something like that. It's like 15 bucks or something to the queen. It's, it's not much, but it's symbolic. It's something. Well, something like that was in Russia as well. The peasants had to pay some lease rent money, it was quite small, but it gave them this impression still that they didn't quite own the land. Well, what the Bolsheviks did, you know, the Bolsheviks took power to somewhat to their own surprise. They 
usurped power from the temporary government, which was instilled when the Nicholas II, the emperor, uh, was forced to abdicate in February of 2000, sorry, of 1917. Uh, in February of that year, the Bolsheviks kind of attempted the a coup d'etat, and to their to their own surprise, they succeeded. And so they took power, and immediately there started a civil war. Well, how uh, to a large degree, how the Bolsheviks won that civil war was because they managed to make the peasantry in Russia. Uh, they managed to to put them on their side, or at least make it neutral which was key to their victory in the two-year civil war, three-year civil war that followed. Had the peasants uh, cast their lot with the whites, in other words, with the what the French would call the ancien regime, the old, the old regime, uh, the Bolsheviks would certainly have faltered in uh, that, they would have lost that civil war, the Reds would have lost that civil war, and world history would have been quite different. But and the and the peasants, by the way, were a very uh, traditional element, unlike the factory workers. The peasants were more religious, and naturally was were not the kind of people that that, that would go with the communists. More on this on the, in the next segment. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Welcome back to the show, folks. So I'll just uh, take it from where we left it in the first segment. So the Russian um, peasantry was uh, actually quite a conservative element in Russian society. Deeply religious. Um, you could even say anti-Semitic. And the reason I mention that is because uh, many of the communists, the Bolsheviks, were Jews. And um, especially those who, among the communists, who would go to those uh, countryside villages and agitate against the whites and against the nobility and against against their uh, hereditary feudal or, or ex-feudal landlords and so on were Jews. Now, normally, these peasants would, uh, you know, at, at the very least, show these Jews the way out of their village. More likely, they would show them the, the way out of their village on the tips of their pitchforks. But, and here is the big but and the big lie. What the Bolsheviks uh, told uh, these peasants was to get, them, to get them to at least not 
opposed them in the civil war was that if they came to power, they would give the land to the peasants, the land that they were leasing for low lease payments from their ex-landlords or ex-feudal landlords. The Bolsheviks said that they would allow the peasants to kill their, their landlords, <clears throat> loot their country estates, tear, tear up those agreements that uh, were in existence from 1860 for about at that time close to six decades and stop paying these little rent payments. And, and in, other words, in other words, to put it in kind of modern language, what the Bolsheviks promised the Russian peasantry is that the lands that they held up until that time as leasehold would become freehold, that they would be uh, complete masters of their own lands. Now, that was one of those lies that I call strategic lies. That was one of those laser lies. Because the Bolsheviks, not for even one second, in, uh, <clears throat> intended to follow through with what they told the, the peasants. The, uh, those um, agitators who were telling these lies and to, they went from village to village, and got the peasants to assemble and got them all worked up to go burn their uh, their uh, the estate of their feudal ex-feudal <clears throat> uh, masters. They thought that when they were saying those lies, they knew full well that they were lying, and that the truth was diametrically 180 degrees opposed to what they were saying. And the reason they knew that was that they were communists. They were actually they were not. Um, as they communists for show, they were real communists. They believed in communism, and therefore, what they did not believe in was uh, property rights. They did not believe in private property, and most of all, they didn't believe in pro in 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 the in the concept of of individuals possessing real property. In other words, land. So you know, the the Bolsheviks were okay with the concept that you own your own underwear. You know, they they were not opposed to the concept of private ownership of your own underwear, but what they were opposed is the concept of private ownership of land and means of production, which is land and agricultural equipment, for example, or buildings and factories and the equipment which is inside of factories that is used to produce stuff, or buildings that house things like restaurants and the equipment that sits in them that is used to produce wealth, i.e. convert raw materials into food and sell the food. That's what the Bolsheviks and the communists did not believe in and were opposed to. In other words, those same people that were promising the peasants that they would get freehold ownership, in other words, that they promised them substantially what amounts to an upgrade, okay? A free upgrade. What they said was, okay, Listen, folks, <clears throat> we will upgrade the, your ownership of your land from leasehold to freehold. And as a kind of um, added bonus, we'll let you go rob your master's estate and take whatever you want out of it. And 
as a form of revenge, uh, burn it to the ground. So the Bolsheviks had this very vivid imagery and they uh, told the, the peasants that this, this nobility was, they were like blood-sucking parasites. That's the imagery that they used. And they said, well, these people were sucking your lifeblood out of you for centuries upon centuries, and now is your chance to avenge yourself upon them and uh, get the land that now you have as a leasehold, as a freehold. <clears throat> now, when the Bolsheviks were saying that, they knew that they had zero intention of allowing any, any private person, such as a peasant, to own uh, any kind of land. And indeed, when the Bolsheviks, with the help or at least the non-interference from Russian peasantry, defeated the, the white armies and consolidated their um, <clears throat> uh, control of uh, what used to be the Russian Empire, the first thing they did was uh, collectivize or nationalize those lands that they promised to the peasants that they would give them as freehold. So what uh, <laughs> the price that the Russian peasants paid for believing those uh, Bolshevik, agit Bolshevik agitators was that wherein before the revolution they uh, had leasehold rights to very productive land as well as various agricultural equipment which they owned not leased but owned well after they helped the Bolsheviks win the civil war their land was taken from them by force uh, as, and as well as their uh, various equipment you know I'm talking about carts and uh, things of that nature was and uh, animals everything so next year's seed, that was all confiscated. It was all confiscated. And what happened to the Russian peasantry? I mean, it's, it's not funny, but it kind of is funny. They were re-enslaved, right? What the Bolsheviks did was they put the Russian peasants in a type of slavery that was in many ways worse and even much worse than... The slavery they they were they, the they were in, i.e., serfdom, prior to 1860, because prior to 1860, these serfs, <clears throat> like I mentioned, they basically paid substantially a tax to the feudal landlord. So you could say, using modern terminology, that let's say they worked two or three days a week for the landlord, and they could, and the, and the other days they worked for themselves, and if they were industrious and productive, they could keep what they uh, made. And they paid no other tax because serfs did not pay income taxes. So, the, so the, what they paid to the feudal landlords was in lieu of taxes, right? But uh, some serf uh, families were actually quite well off. Well, after the revolution, Russian peasants became much worse than the uh, slaves than they were when they were serfs. Because now they were in those kolektivne chazaistva, short kolkhoz, and they could not own, initially could not own anything. And they had to, all of their labor had to be, uh, they had to toil only for the masters, i.e. the Soviet government. Later, 
Uh, they could keep a tiny little vegetable patch, maybe one cow for themselves and so on. But, but uh, they were prohibited from selling their stuff. And I remember growing up in the Soviet Union until I was 10 years old. I remember in the summer going and illicitly out of Kiev and illicitly buying from those kolkhoz farmers like a few apples or strawberries or a pitcher of milk or some eggs things of that nature, but they were not allowed to sell it. So it was, all of that had to be done kind of clandestinely. Okay. So think about it for a second. Uh, the communists, when they uh, told these lies to the peasants to get them to substantially vote for them, using again, modern terminology, they told them not a kind of a simple lie, not what I've called in the first part of the first segment of this show, a normal lie. They told them a weaponized lie, a strategic lie. They told, they, they told them something that they knew that the reality would be the exact opposite of that. And it worked, unfortunately for Russia. Now, what the Democrats are doing in America now is the exact same thing. They're telling the American public a series of strategic lies when, they're in, when, when they full know, they, they know full well that what they want to do in reality is the exact opposite of those lies, of what they're saying. And there are many examples of this of, the, of that and we should uh, mention a few uh, at least a few of them one is the whole energy thing climate uh, things that are related to the climate change uh, uh, hoax so um and yesterday uh, i'm recording this on, on thursday and yesterday was the vice presidential debate and we all know that both uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Biden, they both are on tape saying that they would ban fracking, right? But now they're saying they're lying and they're saying that they will not ban fracking. But fracking is just a small part of it. Um, Biden and uh, Harris, should they, God forbid, be elected, and which, by the way, is, is a very, very realistic scenario, so prepare, folks. But should they get elected, um, they will decimate the energy sector in America, just like uh, the Justin Trudeau liberal government in Canada decimated, in fact, annihilated the energy sector in Canada. Canada had, I know this firsthand because I worked in it a little bit as an engineer, Canada had one of the most thriving and technologically advanced energy sectors in the world, anywhere in the world, including the U.S. They had close ties with the U.S. There's this axis from Fort McMurray in northern Alberta through Edmonton, through Calgary, and down to Houston. And there were very close ties, and Canadian companies did a lot of directional drilling in America and so on. And there was exchange of know-how, maybe some friendly competition, but Canada was certainly on par with the states in its technological uh, advancement as far as the energy sector. Well, 
when Trudeau came to power in 2015, he annihilated it. I mean, he simply shut it down. And so the energy sector in Canada right now is almost non-existent. In five years, he killed it. And the know-how and all these companies are shutting down and relocating to the States. Well, there is no doubt, and I repeat, there is no doubt that what the Democrats will do should they come to power in America, God forbid, is do the same in America as Trudeau had done in Canada. They will kill, annihilate, dismantle, dismember the American energy sector, all of it. Canada prefers to import Saudi Arabian oil rather than dig dig out its own oil because, not because of anything that has to do with oil per se. The reason the Canadian uh, liberals love Saudi oil and hate Canadian oil is because they hate the Canadians that produce Canadian oil. It's the same thing as with Bolsheviks. One of the reasons that uh, the the Bolsheviks um, confiscated land from their peasantry was one, they just wanted to rob it, to rob uh, agricultural produce because they couldn't pay for it and they needed it to pay for their army and for their factory workers. They needed it to feed the factory workers and they had nothing with which to pay the farmers, so they just robbed them at gunpoint. And if they refused to be robbed, they killed them. But that that's that whole Galadamor and all that induced famine and all of that, that came from that. But there was another reason for this confiscation. And the reason was that the Bolsheviks knew people like Lenin, and, and but more so even Stalin, and their ideologues, they knew that peasantry was what they would call a highly reactionary and what we would call a highly traditional element of society, and they wanted to, to, to eliminate it, to annihilate it. So the reason, the, the biggest reason that the Bolsheviks destroyed the agricultural sector in Russia and until the very last days of the Soviet Union, they imported wheat and barley and rye and corn from America and from Canada, whereas before the Bolsheviks came to power, Russia was the breadbasket of the world. Well, they did it on purpose. They did it not because they preferred American wheat, but they did it because they hated the people that grew the wheat. They hated the farmers. Well, the same exact thing in Canada. Canada likes, prefers Saudi Arabian oil not because it likes the oil. It, it, it likes it because it hates the Canadians that produce the Canadian oil. The same exact thing will happen in America should the Democrats come to power. The Democrats hate the kind of people that work in the gas and oil and the oil and gas sector. They, from, the, from, from the guy that pushes the tools to the guy that, to the um, rig hands, and uh, the guys that work shifts uh, in, in you know, negative 50 degrees uh, up in um, you know, North Dakota and Wyoming, outdoors, they hate them. They hate them. They, they hate all of them. And they want them gone. They want them dependent on the government. They want them out for dole. 
you know, they want them on unemployment. They don't want them employed because these people do not vote Democrat. They do not support the, the collectivist, fascist, communist agenda that is espoused by the American left. Okay, people who work on oil rigs are independent people. They like to make their own money and keep as much of it as they possibly can. And that's not the kind of people that vote Democrat. So the Democrats want these people gone. They will eliminate the energy sector in America, not uh, because of climate change, which is something that they themselves don't believe in, but because they want to eliminate the people. They want to enslave the people that work in that energy sector. And more, of the, more on that in the next segment. As we say, let the silent voices be heard. Shadow Bannon, editing, censorship, blocking, and adherence to political correctness are seen as serious threats to our God-given right of free speech. Suppressing free speech, the very cornerstone of our society, is not in the best interest of our listeners, readers, and those who provide our content. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show, folks. We mentioned the uh, lie about energy, and it's a big one that is being told uh, by the Biden-Harris ticket. And in this last segment, we can mention uh, at least one more. And uh, this one is the lie about taxes. So, you know, they had this whole thing with Trump's tax returns that were illegally leaked to the New York Times and all that kind of stuff. Well, what emerges from this, and this is hardly news to anyone who's ever been in business, is that business owners, and especially large business owners like uh, Trump, uh, hardly, if, if at all, pay income taxes because they don't live off of salaries. They don't have, per se, income. They pay uh, taxes on um, stuff they own. In other words, they pay excise taxes, property taxes, as well as taxes on equipment. Like, for example, you know, we had a small engineering company in America and uh, we paid every year an excise tax on equipment that we had. I mean, we had a pretty big mainframe computer, other things of that nature. Well, every year we had to, we had to tell the government what the worth of that equipment was and pay a fraction of that worth in taxation. And so people like Trump don't pay income taxes. They pay lots of taxes in payroll, in property tax and excise taxes on their what accountants call plant and equipment. And the reason I mention that is because when uh, Biden lies and promulgates this lie, which he knows to be a lie, well, or people who are running him know to be a lie, that nobody who's making less than $400,000 will pay more taxes under his administration. They know that it's a lie, and I'll tell you why. Even if, and this is ridiculous, even if we believe him, but not that I do, but I'm just saying let's stipulate for 
a flat second that we believe him that uh, as far as income tax goes, there will be no uh, penalty, let's call it that, or no increased taxes for people making less than 400000 But he, he's, he's not saying anything and the question should be asked of him if, he's, if they're planning, if the ticket is planning something like a national sales tax, which exists in Canada. Canada has what's called GST, which is general sales tax. And then it has a provincial sales tax, which exists in America, like um, in states like Massachusetts and New York and many others. Uh, now, the Canadian sales tax, though, is not really a sales tax. It's much more like the European value added tax because it's added every time something gets improved. So if you take a piece of metal and you beat it into a bracket, the person that buys the metal pays this tax and then he beats it into this uh, bracket and the person who buys the bracket pays the tax again. You know, in Canada, I'll just tell you anecdotally, if you buy a new car, let's say you buy a new car, you pay sales tax. And by the way, in sales tax, uh, um, federal sales tax, sales tax in Canada is 5%. In some provinces like Alberta, they don't have provincial sales tax. Other provinces like many in the in Atlantic and they have 10% provincial sales tax on top of the 5% uh, federal sales tax. And so we over here pay 15% sales tax, which is very similar to many European countries in Israel, uh, value added tax. So you buy a new car, let's say for $20,000, you pay $3,000 in sales tax. But that's not all. Imagine that you've had your car for now three years and for some reason you want to sell it. Well, the guy who buys it from you, and let's say you sell it for 10 grand. Well, the guy who buys it from you must pay the government 15% again. So when, the, when he transfers ownership at the DMV, he has to pay 1500 bucks to the government. So even though he, pay, he, he, you, he pays you 10 grand, but what it costs him is 11.5, right? Now let's say five more years pass and that guy sells the car for five grand. Well, the same thing. The guy that buys the car for five grand has to pay the sales tax again. So the same car can be taxed two, three, four, five times, however many times it's being sold through its lifetime. This is something that's difficult for Americans to envision. But I'm telling you folks, should, God forbid, this uh, uh, deranged uh, Democrats come to power in America, they will. I'm telling you now and you can take it to the bank. They will institute in America a federal sales tax, which will be on top of any state and local uh, sales taxes, and which will form the basis of their socialist medicine, just like, or socialized, or single-payer, however you want to call it, medicine, Medicare for all, that they want to institute in America. And... So uh, uh, the Biden-Harris ticket, they say that they, what, what their basic presentation is, what their basic lie is, uh, 
But what they're basically telling the American people, like Bolsheviks told the Russian peasants, what they say is, listen, if you don't make more than $400,000 a year, and who does, wink, wink, and you know, these people that make more than $400,000 a year, they're kind of evil anyway, so they deserve to get their stuff confiscated from them, exactly the same as in Russia. Okay, so for centuries... These peasants lived substantially in good relations with their landlords. So these, these communist agitators, they showed up in a village and they talked to a group of peasants. And the day before, the day before, these peasants were saying polite hellos to, their, to, to the guy who lived on a hill in that big mansion. And they were saying hello to them, and he was saying hello to them, and the, 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 the landlords or those, those uh, nobility, they would arrange for all kinds of holidays, and people would gather, and they would give them candy, they would, they, they lived together. Not in, I, would, I wouldn't say that they lived in harmony, whoever does, but, but they lived well together. And then one day, these Bolsheviks showed up and said, you know, these guys are bloodsuckers. Well, it's the same thing in America. Because in America, you could be working for a small business or you could be working for a big business and there's a guy, the family that owns that business or there's a guy who is like your boss's boss or whatever and maybe you're making 80 grand and your your boss's boss is making half a million. Maybe when times are good, the people that own the small business you you work in, maybe they netted four, five, six hundred thousand dollars last year because they risked everything to, to build that business and because they're working their behinds off, right? And you may be making 50 and they may be making 500, but they sign your check, eh? They make it possible to pay your mortgage. You, you, you're on good terms with them. And then what happens is these people like uh, Kamala Harris and Biden show up and they say, no, you shouldn't be nice to that guy who signs your paycheck. You should hate him. Because he's been, you think he's been signing your paycheck all these years, but in fact, they say, he's been drinking your blood. So who cares if he's going to be uh, paying much more tax, you know, after we come to power? He deserves it, right? Those people who pay, who, who make more than $400,000 a year, they're bloodsuckers, they say. But who makes more than $400,000 a year? It's substantially middle class, upper middle class people, doctors, lawyers, and so on. They pay tax on income, business owners, kind of upper middle management. You know who doesn't make $400,000 a year in income? Jeff Bezos. Because he doesn't have income in that sense. Okay? He doesn't need a stupid paycheck, right? So his taxes are not going to go up. All right, Bloomberg's taxes are not going to go up. Bill Gates's taxes are not going to go up. You know, Buffett's taxes are not going to go up. They're protected. But uh, what they're saying is those rich people. Right? It's not true, but that's what they're saying. They'll pay more taxes, but you, regular people, Your taxes will not be raised. That's a lie, a blatant lie. 
Because first of all, yes, they will raise your income taxes. But in addition to that, and more importantly, they will raise all kinds of other taxes, payroll taxes. They will institute a national sales tax, all kinds of stuff like that. Things that are now unimaginable in America will come to pass. Believe me, it will happen. Because don't forget that if this election, if the tide turns and Biden is elected, what will most likely happen is that uh, Congress will remain in democratic hands and the Senate will flip. In other words, if Biden gets elected, it will be on the crest of a democratic wave. And that's a misnomer if there ever was, uh, was one. Uh, if Biden gets elected, he will be elected on a wave of totalitarianism, communism, and fascism. That's what will happen. And they will have all of American government, and they will do things that you cannot even possibly imagine now, because most Americans have never lived through anything like that before. And it will be too late. Just like it was too late for the Russian peasants, because they will rig it so that they will never, ever give, give power up again. That will never happen. If the Democrats come to power in America in this November, just three weeks from today or so, they will, never, they will make it so that they will never give, give up power in America again for any foreseeable future. America will cease being a constitutional republic in which uh, the power belongs to duly elected representatives of the people. It will not be that America anymore. And uh, that's, you know, the, the Obama lie about health care, where he famously said, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. He fully knew that that was a lie, just like those Bolshevik agitators knew that the peasants would not be able to keep their land. And in fact, they already had plans to confiscate their, their land. Obama already had plans to take your doctor away from you when he said that, when he said that lie. So what they will do with health care in America is the same, is what is, they basically will complete this government takeover of health care. They they're not saying it, they're saying they're not going to do it because they know it's not popular, but that's what they will do. And that will make healthcare in America. <clears throat> now, in America, unlike in Canada, it will be a hybrid system. It will be socialized medicine, uh, which involves long uh, periods of waiting for all kinds of procedures and all that kind of stuff. But in, uh, unlike in Canada, they, it, there will also be private medicine. I cannot imagine, even under uh, you know Bolshevik America, I cannot imagine that they will forbid doctors, like they do in Canada, to have their own practices and charge however much they want. That's not likely in America. So America will have a, a hybrid system that exists in Israel, for example, when, <clears throat> wherein you have a basic access to medicine, it's, it's, it's pretty poor through your taxes, but then if you're rich, you can buy into an infinite selection of better medicine. And most people, and many people, and of most, many people have some sort of supplemental insurance through their employment. But what will happen uh, in this, what happens in this kind of system is that uh, 
because the fundamental healthcare is paid for by the government, in other words, by taxpayers, the delta, the, this, this improved medicine that you can buy extra becomes much more expensive. There is... Uh, a, uh, the, the, what happens is people can pay more because the government is already paying into it, so and the doctors can charge more. So all of a sudden you have all these fancy private hospitals and fancy private doctors. And now in America, if you have a decent job, you have a very decent health insurance. That was my experience when I lived in America. And, you know, it costs you something. I remember I, I used to pay maybe a couple hundred bucks a month to, for my entire family, and it was excellent health coverage. Well, that will go away. Because what will happen is you you will be able to not buy anything and then you'll be reliant on this one-size-fit-all horrible socialized medicine or you will have to pay much more to buy into whatever plan gets you a certain delta, a certain plus above that. So, for example, if you want your procedure done not after two years, but after a couple of weeks, that kind of thing, and you want your insurance to pay for it, you'll have to pay a lot more for that supplemental insurance. So, but in, but, but in doing so, in socializing medicine, in instituting uh, a heavy burden of taxation, in killing the kind of jobs that breed independent people who can make their own money and make their own ways way in the world, <clears throat> the Democrats slash Bolsheviks slash totalitarian globalists in America are just following in the footsteps of every other totalitarian regime in modern times. They're using the mechanisms of enslavement that were pioneered a hundred years ago by Bolsheviks in Russia. Actually, one-to-one. They're, they're literally copying them one-to-one. And I'm just going to finish uh, this show with this one thought. And of course, the other big lies about guns. And there's no question that they will do everything, not only to forbid you from buying new guns and new ammunition, but they will do everything possible to confiscate your guns. That is That goes without question. But I won't leave you with this thought. Do not believe them. Talk to your friends and explain to them that what everything that comes out of their mouths is not just regular lies. They are weaponized lies. They are phase-coherent lies. They are laser lies. They are lies that are designed for one thing and one thing only, which is to enslave you. And the moment that they're through the door, the moment that for whatever stupid reason, like you don't like Trump tweets, you allow them to take power, they will go back on everything they promised you and make you into slaves. Don't let that happen. Vote Trump. Trump.